You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you for this simple verse, and we pray that you would illuminate what this really means for us today, uh, that you would illuminate what it means in our hearts. Lord, speak through Ryan this morning. Speak with clarity and edify us as a body. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We are glad to have you uh, with us this morning as we continue in our series where we've been walking through uh, the Ten Commandments. And we're, we're at week five of that. We took a couple weeks to kind of set up the series so that we could understand really the role of God's law in our lives and under, understand the context that the Ten Commandments were given in. And then we, we looked at the first two commands, uh, the, the, the previous two weeks, and today we look at the third command. And just something to note about the Ten Commandments is that the first four, when you look at them, are all related to our relationship with God vertically. And then the last six uh, really flow from that toward our relationship with one another. And, and it's interesting because how we treat one another and how we live together uh, as humanity, as the people of God together, really is contingent upon our relationship with God. And that's the reason why the Ten Commandments are in uh, the order that they're in. And, and just as a reminder for you, uh, these ten uh, instructions, commands, ten words in the Hebrew that God gives to His people are out of His love for Him, to show them the best possible life that they could have uh, in Him. Uh, you know, that's the key to understanding this because these words were given after God had already delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. It wasn't so that he would deliver them. If they could obey them, maybe God would show grace and favor and mercy. But it was, he gave these to show us the good life in our freedom. And so uh, as we look back at those, we look through the lens of what Jesus has come and done and fulfilled that law for us. And, you know, I shared a, a, an example about just the, the role of God's law in the life of a believer uh, a couple years ago. And I, I brought this big, hideous uh, green chair on the stage. I don't know if you remember that or not, those of you that were here. And th here's the interesting thing about this green chair in our family anyway. Uh, it, it's, uh, sometimes it's the chair of wrath <laughs> in our family because our kids, as we as they're, uh, you know, living life throughout the, the, the house, inevitably the conflict will arise that uh, it is not worked out appropriately. And so, uh, you know, it's my duty as, as dad to, uh, uh, and Megan's as mom to, uh, to, to show discipline out of love when it's needed. And so you might hear, if you're around our house any time, okay, I'll meet you at the green chair. And anytime you hear that, there's wailing going on. I'll meet you at the green chair. It doesn't matter if it's time out or removing a privilege or some other form of discipline through love, if you know what I mean. Uh, but, but the green chair is the place where we meet and, and we experience God's love through discipline. And sometimes the law of God is the very same way with us. It stings. It's a mirror. It, it hurts as we look at our sin and it, can, it convicts us as we look at the pure holiness of God's law and what it is. But on the other side of this, here's the, here's the deal about the green chair in our house. Anytime that our children are frightened, they've had a nightmare, they, you know, uh, something's happened and they're scared, they've had a bad dream or whatever, they always want to come down and spend the night, guess where? In the green chair. Because it's the place that's closest to mom and dad, the place of most comfort for them. And, and church, I just want to challenge you to see the law of God in the same way. 
To see it both as something that convicts and confronts us in Christ, but also uh, something that comforts and shows us the love of God. It's it's about conviction and comfort always for the believer. And and for those that are maybe not yet in Christ, uh, it, it, it convicts us and drives us to Jesus to show that we could never live the good life on our own. No matter how much wealth we accumulate, or, or how smooth our relationships are going, or how well our jobs are, are going, none of those things will ever give us the good life. Only Jesus will. So as we, as we read Deuteronomy 5, Exodus 20, verse 7 is a very similar verse, actually exactly the same. And I just want to read it one more time for us as we dig in. Here, here's what the command says. And, and listen closely to the words. Because this is one of those verses a lot of times that we we don't listen carefully to the wording in it, and so we misinterpret its meaning. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name in vain. So the big idea of where I want to go today with this passage uh, is this. We empty God's name when he is empty to us. Would you say that with me? We empty God's, yeah, 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 that's it. So, so for some of us in this room, you know, maybe you're in a place where God and his name have never meant much to you. That, that was a large portion of my early childhood. God's name didn't mean much to me. It didn't mean much to my family. Uh, it, was, it was associated with the list of, of duties and regulations and, and rules and uh, attendance a couple of times a year to a, a local church. God's name didn't mean much in our day-to-day life as a family. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's even you today. If, if that's you, I want to I challenge you to rethink that a little bit today. Why does God's name not carry weight in your life? Now, I think sometimes as, as Christians, we can get into this trap where we superimpose the expectations of of the life of faith in Christ on people who are not believers. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where where we may may hear a phrase where God's name is is used in a vain setting, whether that's someone saying, you know, uh, GD or oh my God or Jesus Christ in in an inappropriate context where they're not revering the name of God. You see, but that's not the only way we take God's name in vain. That's just scratching the surface of what our hearts are really experiencing in our relationship with God. Now, now others of you in, in Christ, we, we, we maybe take the name of the Lord in vain in, in different kinds of ways. And that's really what I want to explore today. And, and the way that we've got to get to this is to really dig down below the surface and, and look at the meaning of three kind of key words in this command. So this is our first point today. It's about emptying God's name. And it's this, it's, it's coming to grips with the gaps between what we declare and what we demonstrate. So let's break this down into, into just three key words here. They're the words take, name, and vain. All right, so let's look at take first, this word. I'm not going to get into trying to pronounce the Hebrew words because that would be embarrassing for me and difficult for you and I don't think very helpful, but I want to get to the meaning of them. So the word take is, is, is the first word you got to realize because it, a lot of times we say that this command says do not say the name of the Lord in vain, right? That's what we think that it says a lot of times and that's what our minds go to when we think about this command. Do not say the name of the Lord in vain. Now that's part of, of what it means, but it's not the whole thing. 
To take in the Hebrew means to carry or to lift up. To carry or to lift up. So it's, it's about how we carry the name of God in our lives. And this is evidenced with how we respond to his word uh, and instruction. And because we bear the image of God, we all carry God's name, his identity, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. Some of us, a lot of us in here are believers, and we, care, we, we, we try to, as best as we can, proudly carry the name of God, the name of Jesus, with the way that we hold and live our lives. And, and, and others of us, we, we, we actually carry God's name in a way that we don't even recognize because we're made in his image. Everyone carries the name of the Lord, whether we want to realize that or not, either redemptively or non-redemptively. And it's, and it's because of this, our lives tell a story about who we believe God is. And it's not just through our words, that's scratching the surface, because out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks, right? So, so our, heart, our mouths are telling a story about our hearts. And that story is saying something about who we believe God to be and what we believe that he has come to do in and through our lives and in this world. Now, the second word is this. It's name. Now, uh, a name is, is really a person's entire identity, especially in Hebrew culture. Uh, a name was, was far more than, than just something maybe you picked out of a baby book, right? I mean, and no, no offense there, we did the same thing. We, we tried to search for the meanings of our, of our kids' names and, and kind of stitch those together and had purpose in picking our children's names. But it's, it's, this is just interesting. In, in, I don't know if you know this or not, but in Burmese culture, different family members get to name your children. And, and so our, as we're getting to know our, our neighbors, they were, they were sharing this with us, and I just thought it was so amazing that their families were that tight-knit that they gave the privilege of naming their children to different family members because the name was, was, a, was a kind of a whole family ordeal, not just something that, that you say, oh, you know, that sounds kind of cool, right? So the name is a, is a, a person's entire identity. So it carries meaning, tradition, and purpose. You know, even, even think about this, about the name of God. When Moses uh, met God in Exodus 3 in the burning bush when he was uh, in the, the wilderness uh, in, in Midian, uh, he, if you remember, he had, he had, he had, uh, uh, he had killed an Egyptian when, 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 he, when he was in Egypt, and he fled because he was found out. And then this is where God meets him to draw him back to Egypt to help deliver the Israelites. And when God meets him, you know, Moses says, hey, you got to tell me your name if I'm going to go back to these people and, and, and help rescue them out of slavery. And what does God say that his name is to them? What does he say? He says, my name is what? I am. I am. My name is I am. And, and what he was saying about this what he was revealing about himself was not just his title, but his personal name. He was telling a story, even from the beginning pages of Scripture, in the first five books of the Torah of the Old Testament, he was telling a story about his nature and who he was and his relationship and his desire to be with his people. And what his name says about who he is, Yahweh, those four letters... Is, is this, his self-sufficiency and self-dependence. He's telling them a story that he doesn't need anyone outside 
to give him identity, to give him purpose, that he creates it and cultivates it within and of himself. Now, you know, some of us don't like our names because we think they don't describe us. And so some people may even change their names. I've seen that happen a lot. Um, and, and because, it, you know, it's just, this doesn't describe who I am. This doesn't tell the story of who I am. But, but it's in those spaces where we, we tend to, like, superimpose, like, our idea of what a name is on God. And we lose some of the meaning about his true name. Because we're not, because, because when, we, when we think, when we carry that ideology into our relationship with God, we think that we can just kind of take some parts of his name. Because if, I don't know if you've ever done a study of all the names of God in the Bible, and you, and you kind of put those together and look at that. It's just amazing about who God is to us and what he wants to be for us. But, but we can't just take one part of his name and kind of just really focus on that and then, and then uh, set the other side other parts of his name aside. His name is his identity. So, so the question for us we got to ask is this, is how do I use God's name? How do I use it? How do I see it? What do I think about when I say God's name and I pray to him? Because he wants to be near to us. How does what I say about God when I use his name reflect who I believe him to be in my life? That's what this command is about. And uh, and I just want to talk a little bit about this idea of a, what I'm going to call a gospel gap. Because all of us, in some way, shape, or form, that, that follow Jesus Christ have these gaps in what we declare and what we demonstrate in our lives. Okay? And, and we have this as we relate to God as well. So, on, so a gospel gap, here's how I'm going to define it real quick. It's, it's this, the distance between what we declare and what we demonstrate with our lives. So, you know, the world would call this... This, this little word that starts with an H, hypocrisy, right? That, that, that's, what, that's what we think about when we hear that. When someone doesn't live with the, the integrity that they say that they are, that they say their identity is, their name is about, the banner that they, that they live their lives under as Christians, and then when they don't live up to that, they're hypocrites, right? So we all have these areas in our lives where what we declare, what we say that we are and what we want to become is different from what we demonstrate with how we live our lives. And, and, and Jesus has come, and he's come to give us the name of God afresh so that we could bear it upon our lives because we can never live it out on our own. And, and th th this is the second thing that I want to talk about now with this, this idea of a, of, a, of a gospel gap uh, is, is receiving God's name, seeing how Jesus has come to redeem God's name uh, in our hearts. Because this is the only way that God's name will ever carry the weight that we desire it to carry in our lives. Because we can't do it uh, in and of ourselves on our own. So think about this. Um, if, if you've got a Bible, I want you to flip over to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now this is, a, this is a passage of scripture that we typically encounter, we typically go to during the Advent season. We talk about the coming of Jesus uh, into the world. The thing that I want you to see is that God actually sends his name for us because we had lost and distorted his identity in being image bearers of him through sin. He sends his name for us. And so here's what you see, here's what you see about Isaiah chapter 7. Um, let me read it for us real quick. And the, the, the con let me just say the context real quick. Um, and, and God sending his name for us, 
before Jesus ever became our king, there was a lesser king, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, who had a plan to try to earn protection from the Assyrians, right? He, he, wanted, to, he wanted to secure protection for God's people uh, through, through this kind of an underhanded way. He, the, the, what, what his plan was was this, is that he wanted to give the Assyrians the precious gold from the temple, the place of worship of God's people, and it was kind of a bribe. But Isaiah, God's prophet to, to Israel, while they were in Assyrian captivity, declares another pathway for deliverance. And, and here's what he says about God. And here's what he says about God's name. Listen to it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And he's prophesying about what God will do and how he will redeem his people. He says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, the name of Emmanuel, the name that we think about, especially around Christmas and the Advent season, has this meaning. God with us. God with us. And so, from the outset, God's desire has always been to be with us. Now, when we think about those gospel gaps in our life, and if you can't think of any, come and talk to me. I can share a bunch, even this past week, about what I intended my life to be uh, in a certain area and what it was actually, what I declared and what I demonstrated. Those, those moments of hypocrisy in our life, those crises of faith that we have in our lives. What I fail to believe a lot of times is that God still wants to be with me. Maybe you're in a similar situation, that, that God has still sent his name for me, that he still sent his family for me, that he still sent his son for me. And, and, and I just want you to ask yourself that question today. I don't know where you're at today, but do you really believe that God wants to be with you? Do you really believe that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus so that you might bear the name of God afresh in your life in a redemptive way, not in a hypocritical way, but a way that brings honor and glory to the Most High God? Do you, do you believe that God wants to be with you? So we know the story and how it goes that that, that prophecy is fulfilled when Jesus is born. Now, I want you to listen to the theme of the name from Philippians chapter 2 and how the Apostle Paul describes how Jesus came and why his name is so significant in our lives. Listen to this. It comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says this, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, and that's, that's tricky Greek right here, because it makes him sound like Jesus wasn't God. It's not what it's saying here. Basically what he's saying is that he bore God's name perfectly. He is God. Though he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Or in other words, he didn't take advantage of the name to get out of suffering. He didn't say, oh, but, but I'm God's son. Therefore, I shouldn't have to suffer. I should get a pass on this. He didn't do that. Why? Because his name in our lives was far too important um, for him to, to set aside suffering. The plan was for the son to come and suffer so that we might receive the name again, church. Verse 7, he goes on to say this, but what did God's son Jesus do? But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, not of God, but of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. 
even death on a cross. Now listen for the name language here. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. The name that is above every other name. That's the name that he set on his son. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul records how Jesus carried the name of his Father on earth and therefore what the name of the Son means to all of creation. Jesus did not come to take advantage of the family name when it was convenient. But instead, when it was costly, he bore the name to the end so that you and I could once again receive the name that our hearts long to receive with our lives. Because our actions and our words simply show and reveal and give evidence to the things that our hearts believe about who God is and what he's come to do. And that's why in Acts chapter 4, when, when Peter is preaching, he says, listen, there's no other name under heaven that men can be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. And so here's the deal about this. Every knee is going to bow to the name of Jesus. The question is, when will it happen for you? When will it happen for you that you will bow your, your, your knee to the name of Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of the universe? Because when you bow that knee means all the difference in our eternal well-being. What have you done with the name of Jesus this week, this month, this year? What have you done with the sinless man that claimed to come and give his life so that you could receive the name above every other name on your life? What have you done with that? Because that's the invitation is to receive the name. Like a lot of times we just try to change our behavior. If I could just stop saying that phrase or, or that word and we try to clean ourselves up, but really our hearts are just still, they haven't received the name, they haven't lived in the name of God, the identity of who God is and what his son has come to do with us. It's so interesting that we see, do you know how Christians receive the name of God? It's, well, it's through faith in Jesus, but have you ever noticed that, that sacrament that we do with water? We call it baptism, Right? Have you ever noticed the significance of the name of God in the sacrament of baptism? Let's read it afresh real quick here. If you've got a Bible, I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And, and to give you context, this is where Jesus has um, he's, 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 he's died a sinner's death on a Roman cross. He's been buried for three days. He's risen. He's appeared. And he's getting ready to go back to his Father in heaven. He's about to ascend to heaven. And he tells his disciples... He gives them some instructions on how they're to live out the name for the sake of the world. Because this name is no longer just for the people of Israel. But he says it's for the sake of the world. In Acts 1.8, it, it says that the, the, the scriptures say that, that the disciples receive power to go and bear the name throughout all of the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Listen to what Matthew 28 says afresh here for us. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm God. I've borne the name. I've bared the name of my Father. And he says, because of that, because of that authority that I have, 
Here's what you're called to do as my disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and here it is, in the name. In the name. In the fullness of who God is, in the the Trinitarian identity of who God is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're baptized into this name because this is the name that saves you. This is the name that gives you power to to overcome the, the deceit of the enemy. This is the name that will change everything about you if you will receive it. And because of that, because of, because of that receiving the name is, is such a transformational process, he accompanies it with a sign and a seal, the sign of baptism. Now, a lot of times I had a friend recently who asked me, uh, I was on the beach and I met this guy, he's actually visited a couple times here at New City, and I was, I was on the beach and we were playing football and, and uh, the football, you know, we missed it, and it went over to him, and we started tossing and talking. And Anyway, over the course of about three days of kind of beaching in the same spot, uh, I get to know this guy, and, and he finds out that I'm a Christian, and not only am I a Christian, I'm a pastor. He says, all my family are Christians. I'm kind of the black, black sheep of the family, and, but, but I want to change that, he says. I want to be baptized. Will you baptize me right here? And I was like, whoa, let's, let's slow this down a little bit, because it does no good to receive the sign unless you've received the name. Because that's what it's all about, is receiving this name. And so, so anyway, I, I said, let's get together back in Atlanta. Because he actually, I left that part out, he actually lives in Atlanta, uh, which was another crazy story. And so we've been meeting and discussing that. But what baptism signifies is, is it's kind of a name-giving ceremony. In our, in our tradition, uh, we, we baptize two types of people in, in two kind of spiritual places. And, it's the, it's, it's, we, and we baptize infants, and the reason that we baptize infants is because their family carry the name. And so we don't, we don't, tie, uh, we, we don't see the necessity to tie when, when the sign is received and when the, the name is instilled in the heart, if that will be. But we only baptize the children of believers. We don't just baptize any, any children. The children of believers, covenant partners at our church. But we also baptize those adults who have who've received Jesus Christ through faith and have a credible profession of faith. We baptize them, but we baptize them into the name. Into the name. And, and, and baptizing them into the name is not to baptize orphans and just send them on their way. But to baptize them into the life of the body of the church. Jesus' church. That's why we're baptized into this community to carry this name together of our Father who is in heaven. And another thing about being baptized into the name that's so significant, and, and I think 1 Corinthians 6 has been helpful for me in understanding this, is it, is it baptism is not just about, you know, this one-time thing where you were justified and so you received the name. But it's about this ongoing need to be cleansed by God, to faithfully carry out the name for that gospel gap that we all have to close more and more and more and more until we meet Jesus face to face in glory and we bear the name perfectly. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6 as it talks about this idea of washing and and being cleansed in God. It says this, but you were washed, you were sanctified. That word sanctified is the word that we use, that Paul uses often about the, the kind of the pursuit of righteousness in God's name. And a lot of times at New City, we talk about it like this. It's, like, it's kind of like the already but the not yet of the Christian life, where we are becoming more and more like Jesus. We're being conformed more and more to his image. 
We're not what we were, but we're not what we will be either. That's the process of God sanctifying and making us holy. So he says, you were washed, you were sanctified. He said, he's tying in this idea that, that baptism not only represents your justification and being cleansed once and for all for your sin through faith in Jesus, but also this journey that you're going to be on as a Christian. This difficult journey, because being a Christian is really hard. It's really difficult. It's really challenging. And then he goes on to say this, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the, the Spirit of our God. So baptism isn't just about the water. It's about starting this journey of faith. It's about receiving the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit and learning to bear that name out by the power of God's Spirit who lives inside of us, teaching our hearts to revere the name of God and to carry the name with faith. Let me ask you again, what have you done with the name that is above every name, the name of, of Jesus? Because his name will either save you or it will haunt you for all of eternity. That's what Philippians 2 teaches us. And it all depends on what you do with his name. Because he desires to give it to us. That's why he gave us the sacrament of baptism. Because we need to receive the name. So lastly, I just, I just want to talk about this. What it means to live out God's name. Because when we trace back our, the, the, our behaviors and we look at our hearts, like Jesus encourages us to do, what we see is that using God's name in vain, saying it rather, saying God's name in vain is simply a symptom of what's really going on in our hearts and where we're at in a relationship with Him. So as we receive God's name through the work of Jesus, it's my belief and experience that when I receive it by faith through grace, nothing that I've done on my own, that my life actually changes when I stop trying to earn God's favor. That my behavior actually changes when I just receive God's name. And I realize that no matter how I live my life, he's going he's gonna to love me. And that, that draws me back to him. It, it, it teaches my heart to repent because I don't have to come to God in fear. But I get to come to God as a son. And so this point is I just want to close this up. is just all about this idea of adoption, of living out the family name of God that he's given to us. And some of you have maybe, maybe you've grown up in a town where you've lived there for a long time, um, like where I grew up in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, recently had the opportunity to go back there. Maybe, maybe you have a town experience like that, a smaller town, and people might even know your family name. Maybe you were in class at, at some point and you had older siblings and, and you got into Miss B's sixth grade science class and they say, are you so-and-so's little brother? And you say, yeah, and then she doesn't say anything else, you know? Maybe, maybe you've got a situation like that where the name has preceded you. And, and maybe in all seriousness, um, you're not proud of the name that you've lived, the name that you've created for yourself, the, the stuff you've gotten yourself into. Well, the name of Jesus changes all of that. And the world might not understand it, but that doesn't matter. Because God's love can change everything through receiving the name of Jesus. And in the scriptures, it's this theological term called adoption. And I, I just want to look a little bit at that today. If you've got a Bible, just, just lastly, turn over to Romans chapter 8. There's a couple passages in the, in the New Testament that really shed light on this idea of adoption. This way that God saves us and we receive the name. It's solidified in our being 
and in our lives. Galatians 4 is another place you can look at it. But Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. And here's what I'm reminded of as I look at this passage is that as a son, I don't have to earn the name. None of our kids had to earn our name, did they? Their names were given at birth. And, and, and it, what happens when we come to faith a lot of times in Christ is that all of a sudden we forget that name giving is something that we had nothing to do with. Name earning isn't such a thing. It's about receiving the name and then living out of the name. The name that's above every name. Listen to Romans chapter 8 as Paul encourages the church in Rome. He says this, So then brothers... We're debtors. It's a familiar feeling for us. But not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you're living according to the flesh, the standards of the world, you'll die. But if by the Spirit, the name we've received in God, you put to death the deeds of the flesh you will live. And we talked about this last week, last week from Colossians 3 that we have power because of the Holy Spirit to put sin to death in our life. I know we don't feel like that often, but we actually have power in our being to put sin to death because God lives in us. And then he goes on to say this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All have received the Spirit of God and we receive the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus. There's not some type of a special secondary salvation experience. But when you proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus and you trust it wholly with your life, you receive the Holy Spirit, which gives you power to walk out the ways of God in your life. Sometimes that, 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 that feeling and that, that experience is stronger than, than other times, okay? I get that. But then he goes on to say, You didn't receive the spirit of slavery, which is what the flesh brought, to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen to the name. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, that's family language right there, family name language. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The spirit of adoption is sons. So here's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives in regards to the third command, taking the the name of the Lord in vain. Oh, and I, I never defined vain, did I? Sorry about that. Vainness, let me tell you what that is real quick. It's emptiness. It's, it's taking God's name, carrying God's name, carrying God's entire identity, name, entire identity, in vain with, the, with, the, with an attitude that it's empty to us. That's what, that's what vanity is, emptiness. That's what Solomon said. So when we, when we carry his name in vain, he means nothing to us. So Notice the language of fullness from Romans chapter 8. We receive the the, the spirit of adoption as sons, meaning God's name is not empty to us, but we belong in the family. Our hearts no longer cry out of a position of slavery. Do you know what a position of slavery is? It says, I must earn, I must pay back, I must get out. 
This is what Israel tried to do in Egypt for 400 years. They didn't want to be in slavery. But how were they redeemed? By God's grace meeting them. By God coming and saving them. It's the same way that we're saved when His name comes to us apart from our effort and we receive it through faith. Our, our hearts no longer seek to earn a name. But our hearts cry out from a position of righteousness. Church, if you're in Christ, you already have the name. There's nothing else you can do to make that name more true in your heart other than the faith that you have to utter his name, to say that he's God, to say that Jesus came, that I believe in him, that I trust him with my life. So the Holy Spirit cries out within us. It agrees with the, the spirit that's in us, cries out with the Holy Spirit in agreement that the Father is our Father. That changes everything about how we live. When we see, and he uses this intimate language, Abba, Father. He's kind of like a small child, Daddy, right? When we cry out with such intimacy, we see more of God's story. We see that our, that our hearts are no longer as orphans, but we're children. That we belong in this family. That this name is our name. I'll, I'll never forget the story of Michael Masters. We had a family move in uh, down the street from us. Uh, this was probably about three years ago. And, and they had had a, a long uh, history of, of doing foster care and actually adopted a little girl out of foster care as well. I know some of you do that. I'm so grateful for your heart, for the children in this community, and for the most vulnerable in our community, the fatherless. And, and so the masters had this, this, this heart as well, and, and uh, they were just great neighbors to us. And uh, um, the Masters had this, this son named Michael, and I asked them if I could share all this, and they said it was cool. But they had this son named Michael who was in foster care uh, for a very long time. And, and I just remember Michael, like his life being so much better because he was with the Masters. Um, but Michael, he, he wasn't yet officially a part of the family, you know? I mean, like, every picture would look something like this that they would take where, you know, they'd have to blur out his face or put, like, a little emoji over it because legally they could not show his face in photography. And so, you know, you have the rest of the family there, and then you have Michael, who just really doesn't quite fit yet. Like, he, he, he kind of feels like he does, and, and everybody thinks that he is, but it's really just not official yet. But, but just before... They moved. Uh, Michael <laughs> was fully and finally adopted into the master's family. This is a picture of <clears throat> this is a picture of Michael, and he's got um, he's got a master's green jacket on because they're the master's family, and and uh, it's real cute and. Uh, and the, 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 the sign he's saying says, some things are worth the wait. After 1,146 days in foster care, I'm adopted. And you should have saw that kid's face. He was so happy to have the name. It didn't matter what had happened before in his life. It didn't matter about the, the, the trauma and the trial that he had experienced as a young boy. But now he had the name. Church, my question for you is this. Have you received the name? Because there's no way that you're going to live out the name if you haven't received it. 
I just want you to ask yourself that question today. Have I received the name and what does it mean to my life? Because you need to hear this today. If you're in Jesus Christ, you are already the beloved of God. You already have the name. We just have to, by faith and the power of the Spirit, live that name out for the world to see. Let's pray together. Father, um, just calling upon you as Father is such a privilege that only sons and daughters have. I think it's so key and so crucial for Jesus to teach us how to pray because we are so prone to relate to you not out of relationship. We are so prone to relate to you as orphans, as those who don't belong. Our sin speaks, often speaks a louder story than our sonship. Our flesh often paints the most clear picture for us instead of your spirit living inside of us. And so God, we just pray, Lord, that you would bring more and more sons and daughters into your kingdom so that we could live out your name. God, we confess that we have taken your name in vain, emptiness, that there are these gaps in our lives. And, and the beautiful thing is, is that you've not ever once removed the name from us. And that's because you can't, because Jesus rose from the dead to rescue and redeem us from the deadness of our sin. And that's never going to be undone. So as sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ is how sure we can be in the name. So God, would you help us to see and believe that we're not slaves, but we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, worthy of the name so that we can show you how worthy you are because you've given us the name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.